Welcome on in to Empower Talks. This is the podcast where we talk about careers with people across the insurance industry. I'm thrilled to have Roger Oldham with us today. Roger is pretty well known within the market and that's really his job. Roger is the founder and managing director of London Market Forums, which is a group created to encourage the people of the market to come together, to network, to share insights, and also have some fun. Roger has been working in the insurance market throughout his career and has an incredible background, which he's going to talk us through today. But he has a passion and he left his corporate roles to create London Market Forums which for me is incredibly relatable. So I really enjoyed this conversation. Roger and I were able to um, share some of our experiences and insights. And actually, I learned a lot from listening to Roger and got a lot of inspiration from it. So I hope you will too. So welcome, Roger. It's great to have you here. And I'm really looking forward to hearing more about your unique career story, but also your quite well-known offering that you provide to the market already. Thank you very much, Sam. It's great to be with you today. And uh, yeah, I, I get to talk to a lot of people, but I'm absolutely delighted that I can talk to to your followers as well today. So thank you very much for inviting me. And we brought you in here because um, you are the CEO of LM Forums. So LM Forums is a really key pinnacle offering for people that work in insurance through uh, learning and events and bringing people together. Um, So we're going to explore that as the podcast goes on. But if we look at this more as a journey, because you've gone and done something quite unique, but you really started with quite a relatable career journey in order to get there. So do you want to talk us through how you started in insurance and what those early days were like? Absolutely. Well, like most people, I think, uh, would admit uh, insurance fell into it by accident, really. Um, I My intended journey in life was to be a medic, to be a doctor, and I was on that pathway uh, at college, uh, higher education, and I was sitting in my careers officer's office one day, and she looked at me and she said, have you done much work experience? And I said, no, not, not at all. Um, so she said, well, you really should, you can't, you know, I know where you want to go, but you should try and do a better work experience. She said, I'll tell you what, there's a really good company just down the road that insures the royal family. I don't know why she said that, but she, she made that as a point. So she said, why don't you write to them and see maybe if you can do, you know, four weeks during the summer holidays as work experience, just to get you used to sort of working in, in a team environment, etc. So I wrote to them. They wrote back quite quickly and said, yeah, come, come along and I'm sure we can work something out for you. Went for the interview. I remember turning up on my little moped in those days and uh, getting out. I was all a bit scared. I was only 17 years of age. So, you know, quite young and, and, and you know, first job, etc. So turned up at this interview and there were two people behind the desk interviewing me. And I thought it went quite well. I was naturally quite nervous. Um, and they were like 20 or 30 years older than me. So all a bit scary. But when I got home, I remember uh, getting a call usually, well, within about sort of 10 minutes of me getting home um, saying, could I go back the next day for a, a further discussion? And I thought, oh, it's just to talk about the sort of thing I'll be doing for work experience. And as I walked into the room that day, on that next day, they, they passed a letter across the desk to me, which was a job offer. Um, and I thought to myself, 
what on earth am I going to do now? I've been offered a job with a salary. Um, or do I stick with what I'm going to do and stay, stay with medicine, which was a passion of mine. My, I was previously in the air training corps of the RAF all my sort of teenage years and my commanding officer was a doctor. So that's how I'd sort of got that passion and interest in medicine. So I had to make some decisions and what they did quite cleverly, they said to me, oh, well, tomorrow, so-and-so from here, from this office in Sussex is going up to the London and going up to EC3, a place with Lloyds of London, and we'll show you around. Of course, the minute that person took me into the Lloyds building and I looked up at the ceiling and I saw what it was like and the ambiance and how everybody was working, I was sort of like most people completely consumed by it. So within a, a week, I'd made the decision that I would stick with insurance. And that is how I ended up in the insurance, insurance broking. So that first role, was it out of London? It was. It was. It was actually in the provinces. It was in Sussex. So it was for a company called uh, Bain Doors, uh, as it was known in those days, which later became uh, Aon. It, it was ac- acquired by Aon much later on. It became Bain Clarkson and Bain Hogg, and then it was consumed by Aon. And I and I stayed with that organisation for, for 20 years uh, before moving on to other roles in the market. But uh, it was a very, very interesting career. Started my my time in reinsurance. Uh, absolutely loved it. I, I, I mean, I didn't know on day one what the hell what is reinsurance. Uh, you know, I had to research it. But I had a really good careers officer inside the broking house. Uh, he was quite uh, an interesting guy. Uh, he was quite eccentric. He had a, I remember an office with a big leather chair in it that I'd go and sit in uh, every month and I'd sit there and he'd go, now my boy, what are, you, what, are, what, are, what, are you, what are you looking at? What are you, what's the plan? And he was the one who got me on all of the CII courses. So he was the one who said, you've got to do eventually, you know, your certificate of introductory certificate, as it was in those days, and eventually the ACII, and I went on then to do my FCII afterwards. But it was uh, it was a long, drawn-out process in those days, and things were quite different than they are today in terms of studying and, and the amount of information available. In those days, all you had, you had to wait for that big pack to come through the post, and you'd undo it, and you had the hard copy books, and that is all you had. And then I'd go and take my exams in a very drafty, cold uh, examination hall in Brighton somewhere um, uh, with a group of strange people that I'd never met before, like most people. But it was very different in those days. And people of my age who recite their exam experience will often talk about going and taking them in places like Alexandra Palace and stuff where there was pigeons flying above them and stuff during the course of the exam. So it's a lot better today than it was then. But it's been quite a journey yeah when I, I did my exams I was kind of on the cuff of um the, the exam hallway and then the coursework way I did a few on Brighton Beach in, in hotels um which is always nice when you walk out when you finish and you've got that view and you're not in the city I quite enjoyed that but uh yeah just does take you back so there's quite a few people I I, I speak to that have done what it sounds like you did there in your introduction so got their first job in insurance um, and then they've seen the Lloyd's market, the London market. You know, I heard someone describe this as um, Disneyland for anyone that works in insurance. So they kind of see it and then they think that's where I want to be. 
And that transition's kind of hard, actually, quite often. If you've you've started out of London, then to switch over to London, that's a balance in terms of timing. Like, I think there's a bit of an art in not leaving it too long that it becomes hard to transition, but almost getting enough experience on your CV so that you are able to put yourself forward for those jobs that are almost entry level, but looking for someone who knows a bit about what they're talking about. Um, But then also balancing the job searching process while you've got a job out of London. Um, So how easy was that? Was that an internal move for you or was that something that took a bit of effort? Yeah, I think, you know, I got stuck into the job that I had. So the role I I had was initially based in Sussex, uh, that that, that, that sort of very first few years. But um, every day, you know, I mean, I was corresponding with my counterparts based in in the city um and and it wasn't long before they could see that i was doing a decent job and they were inviting me to say, well why don't you come up sort of two days a week and you know spend some time with us here in in in, in the london office and and uh, and th- and that's what i did so i actually quite from a quite young age um so i started as i said earlier when i was 17 by the time i was 21 i was actually leading a team of people i was one of the youngest managers in 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 the organization um and that's just because that's just my character i put myself out there i made sure that i did the best i could i never i was never a nine to fiver i've never been a nine to fiver i don't know what to me that and i i respect everybody's different opinions on 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 work-life balance and 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 all of that but for me it's been uh, you know a vocation really um and i've entered into it and because i've put my whole heart and soul into it it's sort of taken me on this real interesting journey around the world so my my journey in insurance hasn't just been in sussex or in london but actually i'm you know like like many people eventually it takes you completely around the globe which is a a fascinating there aren't many uh, you know professions that can do that and insurance if you really put yourself you know, your back into it and uh, commit yourself uh, then then that is exactly what can happen and that of course opened me up to all sorts of other cultures and learning about people and how diff- how business operates differently in different regions around the world Try- trying to manage people in for instance the middle east or the far east is is so different than managing people as i did in in, in north america so um yes yeah, completely different ball game so but it's an interesting one um and uh, little did i know at that time when i made that decision to to switch from sort of medicine to 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 what i do today that uh, it would have taken me on such a journey but it's it's it was it was really good but i think the key message you know that that i learned or the key thing that i picked up was you've got to put yourself out and you've got to um in in the military they will say don't volunteer for anything well actually in the insurance market i volunteered for everything everything i could and as a result of that you know whether it was a a project that was internal or something that was in the market in Lloyd's or whatever I was always put my hand up and say I'll have a go at that or I'll sit on that group or, or that forum or whatever that way my network just went woof and the more your network grows the bigger your network in my opinion the more successful you will be not necessarily just about money but actually about the the enjoyment you get from doing what you do which is so which I think is so important yeah, no, you've used that phrase a couple of times there, putting yourself out there. Um, now, th- there's a, a, 
a theory I really like. I first came upon it from Inga Bill. She talks about this in quite a few of her career talks. It's a theory called Pi. Essentially, it's the theory of how we get promoted. So three parts that you need to be doing. The first is P, performance. You've got to do your job. Of course, you've got to do your job. If you're not doing your job, there's a problem. Um, but what sometimes we, we see, when you are in your first job, doing your job well often gets you promoted. Maybe your second job, doing your job well gets you promoted. So some people then focus on that and they will work really hard. They'll do a really good job. But then you might hear them saying things like hard work doesn't get you anywhere. No, because um, the truth is everyone's working hard. Everyone's doing their job. At least they should be. If there's not, that's a different problem. But if we start with the status quo, everyone's doing their job. That's your performance piece. Then you have the piece around image, which is what are people saying about you. So you're talking about things in your attitude, your behaviours. What what are people seeing? Are you positive? Are you organised? Are you a good listener? Um, are you able to be solution focused? And um, how are you putting yourself out there? How are people going to talk about you when you're not in the room? And then the third piece is exposure, which is essentially um, who knows you. I'm really careful about the way I say that because people often say it's who you know will help you with exposure, but you can have lots of people knowing you without you knowing them. So if you're doing exposure well, actually you'll have people, whether it's through LinkedIn or presentations you've given at Know You, who um, don't you don't know. So you can get exposure without feeling like you're friends with everybody or you are at all the events through making sure you're kind of spotlighting things. You said there, you know, it's your opinion. There's some great research on this. Harvey Coleman did some research on this, found that 10% of the reason we get promoted is because of performance. Again, it's status quo. So if we're not doing it, it doesn't mean it's the least important, but it's just, it's a given. 30% is down to image, 60% is down to exposure. And if you think about the opportunities you've had in your career, you might have some that come to mind as I say that. Um, like what's come your way because somebody knew who you were? Is there anything you can think of? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I've been sitting whilst I was in Aon. I mean, I said I was at Aon for 20 years, but I did have a number of different jobs within Aon. I mean, it, I didn't even stay within the same parts of Aon at all. I moved around and I moved around because people would contact me, bosses of various departments. I mean, I didn't really know who these people were, but I, I just get a call from someone to say, look, you know, do you fancy having a, a, a coffee? And then, of course, it always gets rather delicate when you get those sorts of situations because obviously they don't want to be seen to be poaching somebody internally. But, you know, providing that it's done in the right way, then then it tends to work out. And most bosses are quite happy after a period of time for you to move on to your next thing because it's part of your natural sort of career progression but you know I got asked to uh, I got a call one day and said you know would you be interested in taking a very senior sort of claims role within the uh, construction and engineering division power as well so I went for this this sort of discussion or interview and um, I was offered the job straight away which which I took and that was the most fascinating career choice because uh, all of a sudden um, like many people who specialize in whether it's marine or aviation or fine art or whatever class of business they're in you learn so much about that particular topic so you know put insurance to one side you know the whole the whole sort of study of indemnity which is fascinating in itself but then you start learning about civil engineering contracts and about what goes wrong on major construction projects around the world and take going into that job you know 
I never knew what was coming next in terms of what phone call was coming next. Was it a, a tunnel collapse in Asia? Was it, a, you know, a massive fire on, on a construction site in Australia? It could have been anything. And sometimes I just had to go to wherever the incident occurred and be there on site to support the client, the insured, um, with the with with the claim and and help with the 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 overall adjustment of it. So that particular job. That decision to move into that role was a very, very uh, important one for me. And and everything was going really, really well um, uh, until we got to a point where all of a sudden uh, Aon, uh, the big Aon from the United States, came to the UK with a checkbook and decided that they would buy a number of broking houses all at the same time. So within a space of two years, um uh there were i think sort of seven or eight acquisitions made um and um my company that i worked for which was was bain hogg at the time was acquired um and a lot of the people that perhaps i was working with certainly maybe in the in the in the sort of like the sort of provincial um as mid sussex area they decided they they didn't want to relocate because they decided to close that complete operation uh, in Sussex and move everybody either to, I think it was Canterbury, or they wanted to move everybody to, to London. I was already in London nearly all of the time anyway, so it was no problem for me. Um, apart from they turned around and said, actually, we would like you to go and manage the new operation out in Romford in Essex. And and I thought, oh, that's that's a bit different. Uh, what, do, what do I do? But it was a good, good job. Um, with you know a lot of people effectively to manage and all of that sort of thing. So I then decided that uh, I would I would do that provided I could still be in the city office in in we, we were based at uh, uh, opposite Liverpool Street at uh, Devonshire Square. Providing I could be there a certain amount of the time, I could blend my time between the two because I still wanted to keep that London foot in the door, which was really really important. Um, so yeah, I managed I managed that operation for some time before eventually moving back to London uh, full time. So I was split between Romford and and London. Um, but you know I was lucky that during my time at Aon, um, I was exactly as you've just pointed out there, Sam. I was spotted by the chairman's office of Aon and and uh, Dennis Mahoney, who was the chairman of Aon at the time, he had a really good guy that was his sort of right hand man. And this guy was a troubleshooter internally. And his job was to pick up anything that went wrong in Aon from a often from a maybe a, a contentious issue where you had a dispute between insurers and the insured that couldn't be resolved. And this guy would be like a middleman, like a mediator. And he would go in and try and resolve the dispute. And these were disputes often for tens of millions of dollars um, between the companies. And uh, he called me one day and he said, oh, you know, why don't you sort of come and speak, see me and we can talk about, you know, uh, how you manage claims. And I'll share with you some of my sort of uh, stories. And we got to know each other. And he said to me, I tell you what, Roger, what you need to do if if you really are passionate about doing what I do today, why don't you go and train and study at the Chartered Institute of Arbitrators in London? So I said, well, in, in what area? He said, well, why don't you qualify? Why don't you try and qualify as a professional mediator? So I looked into it and 
I did. I, I, I studied. I, I went for nearly three years part time. Still had to do my job uh, during the day. Uh, but it was uh, it was a fascinating thing to do. And I was mostly on this on this course with barristers and those sorts of people, big people sitting there with big braces on and all the rest of it. And there was me from the insurance market. But I, I, I learned from some of the best mediators in the world that go around and resolve big disputes between governments and the like, how to mediate. And to this day, I still get called now. And I st although I run LMF, as you said earlier, I still get called and I'm asked to do mediations in the marketplace between uh, insurers, reinsurers and the insureds. And uh, I did one just uh, not so long ago, a uh, big international one that is fascinating, a fascinating area. But but it's, you know, it all comes, as you say, Sam, from those calls that you get out of the blue where someone you know, obviously knows knows you or knows of you through that exposure that you've had. So that creates opportunity. But if you're someone who likes to sit in the corner and keep yourself in a bubble, nothing wrong with that at all. The opportunities may be less than the person who perhaps who puts themselves out there a little bit more uh, and is prepared to sort of go that extra mile or do that do that job even better than perhaps someone else might be prepared to do it. And I think that's that's the key to it. But um, I think the journey for me in a nutshell has been quite um, from a from an educational perspective and development perspective, quite interesting in that not only did I do my CII qualifications, but I then went on to do a degree whilst I was working in the market. I did it at Birmingham University and I did it in insurance management and got a, a BA honours degree um, in that particular area, which then took me on to do my FCII afterwards. But so so for many years, for about 20 years, I didn't feel I ever stopped learning or studying. I was constantly my head in a textbook or on a course of some sort. But but that's when I say to you, it's I didn't see this as a job. I saw this as a vocation. This is about continuing that development. And when I mentor young people today in the market, I try and instill that in them it's about this continuous journey it doesn't mean you have to tire yourself out but it does mean that you just got to be looking for that next nugget that next opportunity of development all of the time because it's out there and it may not be exactly where you think it's going to be like for me i wouldn't have thought i would have qualified as a professional mediator who would have thought but i did it and i've i thoroughly enjoy it and in fact it's the thing i probably enjoy the most today, actually, I love doing that. It's, a, it's an amazing sense of achievement uh, when you've got two organisations or sometimes 10 organisations, warring factions effectively on their way to a court of law, probably going to take five years. You know, you can imagine you've got insured who in the end won't speak to the insurers and the insurers won't speak to the insured. Everybody's in dispute. And if you can be the person that can break that deadlock, bring those parties together, find some middle grounds, at least it, it helps the whole process of healing as well. And eventually those companies end up by often trading with each other again, because actually the dispute, the acrimony is over. So, uh, you know, I feel quite passionately uh, that, that it was that it was the right thing to do um, at that point in my career. But it's all about opportunity. And sometimes it is about being in the right place at the right time, I have to admit. If we talk about that as a qualification, so something I'd maybe assume here, um, so like you, I did my ACII and then I did a coaching qualification. Um, so 
you know, CII is here is the information. What is the right answer? You know, it's a it's a memory or a logic qualification. Whereas coaching, it, there's very little theory that you really need to grasp. It's a lot more about listening skills, being able to pick out on emotive language, being able to um, really focus on and have time in in the way you talk to people. So it's kind of a qualification around um, skill, but life skills in a way. You know, it's really useful um, sort of things that you learn about yourself and how you engage in conversations with people and and when you know, it works for you and when it's not uh, that you can then adapt to others and I'm guessing you you probably have quite a bit of that type of thing in this qualification but probably even a bit more to be able to find that um to deal with the conflict in it but also find you know the the, sh- the shared outcome so what have you learned about yourself going through that qualification the version of Roger that went into it and the version of Roger that came out well I was fortunate in that before I started the uh, mediation training um, I'd also done a, a coaching qualification as well not not as advanced as, as yours Sam but but certainly I'd done one and I'd also studied uh, neuro-linguistic programming as well um, NLP and uh, that I found fascinating and the people that were training me in those particular areas in NLP in particular said, would come up to me and say I've just been listening to how you've been doing that and I absolutely love the way that you've approached that and how you framed that and how you've taken sort of the the, the anxiety out of that discussion or whatever uh, using it's just about using a choice of words really and and uh, uh, using words to I- influence the behaviour of others in, in, in many respects. So I sort of have learned a lot from feedback and I try to listen as much as possible to all these different people that have kindly taught me over the years. Just 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 listen to them. But the other thing that I've done as well, which I think has helped, is not just read the course book that came with the course and done that and sort of ticked the boxes, but always gone on to find other material outside of the sort of the recommended reading that I thought might supplement it as well. So because I don't always take what I what I hear as being the truth or gospel, to be honest with you. You know, I remember sitting in my uh, coaching and NLP training, sitting in these rooms over in Holborn. I was sitting, I remember doing them and the, the course tutor would say, no, then we're going to teach this particular model is the swish model. And I heard it practiced and I turned around and said, I, I'm sorry, I, just, I, I, I don't really see how that would work. Um, and, and, you know, they, they did it again. And, you know, I just it's not a it's not a, um, a procedure that I could or a, a practice that I would want to use uh, amongst my sort of people that I, I work with. Um, so that it's not I don't always take on board everything that I read from the book that I'm I'm given. If I think something there's some additional learning points to be to be had, then I will consume additional material. So, you know, I try to use my own judgment as well. But it is very much about listening to that feedback uh, that you get from from others, not just the people who are teaching you on courses, but those who are perhaps who are uh, sitting around you um, and those e- e- even family members as well, you know. During the pandemic, for instance, I've been sitting uh, hosting Well, we've probably done a 100 different sessions with the market during the course of the last two years. And I've occasionally had family members sitting here listening to me and they said, 
that bit was really good. I found that really, really interesting. Or you, you know, you did that bit well, but perhaps that bit, you know, you could improve on. So I'm always, no matter what age I am, I'm 53 now, I'm always keen to learn more and more and more. I never want to stop learning. So that's just my nature. That's, that's who I am really. Um, not everybody's the same, I know, but <laughs> that's, that's the way I am. So if we look back at your journey when you were in-house, where did you get to? What was the kind of last role you were doing? Uh, well, I ended up eventually, so I went to HSBC uh, insurance brokers where I was asked to effectively head up like changing operations there for them, which uh, was a fascinating journey. And I met some amazing people on that all around the world, um, some great people in London. It's interesting now running LMF, you know, I, I, I bump into many of those people on a, on a daily basis and I would I would count them as my 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 friends. Um, but I ended up in this role. Eventually, I moved to Marsh because Marsh then acquired HSBC. Uh, that was the final sort of bit. Um, and, and there again in this sort of senior operations role. So I ended up in Aon. My last role really was like a chief operating officer of uh, in the specialty divisions. Um, and then heading up operations and change at HSBC and then at Marsh. But the point is that, you know, there comes a point in your career where you have to make some decisions. So you either stay within a class of business and you do really, really well in that class of business. Um, and many people do. You know, I know people who have only ever done cargo the whole life. Um, you know, I worked with a man, as I often talk when I when I do sort of courses and stuff uh, at LMF. You know, I, I speak about this guy I worked with, a very unique character who specialised in frozen fish. That's all he did his whole career. He was Mr. Cod um, and um, he was an amazing guy. He knew everything about every ship that carried frozen fish around the world. He knew where it, the ship was built, what refrigeration units got. That's the level of detail you can get into if you get into a class of business. Um, but you have to make a decision at some point whether you want to stay in that, and some people do, or you want to then go into the management stream. And I got to a point where I wanted to probably go into the management stream. I was offered the opportunity to do it. So uh, that's what I did. And that's how I ended up in these more sort of operational roles where, uh, you know, I got sort of stuck in. But I may, even when I was in the operational role, I made a point of getting involved in the market projects. So I became very much known and associated with much of the market modernization that's gone on to that's going on today. So I was involved in the early days of contract certainty, uh, working alongside great people like John Muir at, at Willis and Chris Croft at Lieber and all those sorts of people. Um, and I took HSBC from, I don't know, nothing virtually on contract certainty to, to 85% contract certainty in a very, very short period of time. I think we were front runners uh, for, a, for a long period of time with contract certainty. Um, so, but I've, example of, uh, you know, when I give, get given a task to do, because my chief executive had tasked me with getting the organisation to be contract certain. And we had the regulators sort of looking over our shoulder going, let send us on a Friday, every Friday, send send us your percentages as a company. And so you had to send them in and then they would do sort of spot audits as well to make sure you, you know, the figures were, were accurate. Um, but it was a fascinating journey. So I became sort of very much associated in Lloyd's with the modernization process um, that, that obviously continues today with the excellent work that's going on with the future at Lloyd's and PPL and all of those other things that are going on. So, um, yeah, it's just 
another example of getting yourself out there and and and, and making it happen and speaking as well and taking those first steps of uh, uh, speaking you know i remember the first time i ever spoke in the old library at lloyd's uh, you know that that was you know nerve-wracking i remember looking up and seeing the balcony all full and thinking oh you know i hope i don't get this wrong i hope whatever i say is going to be of interest to people and people after would come up to me and say god that was really interesting i absolutely loved that i didn't think it was but they they did they got some value from it um, and that gives you then the confidence in to go to that next level and the, the next time to do it a little bit different, differently. So, yeah, it's all it's all part of the journey. So my last role before uh, starting LMF was in that senior operations and change role, which was on a sort of global basis. So how about the, the start of LMF? What was the um, sort of thought process that you went through in terms of? hey, there's, there's probably a gap in the market here for something. What can I do? And then, you know, how much am I going to throw myself into it, I guess, are the kind of questions you're asking yourself. So what was that kind of discovery period? Yeah, it's, it was a very interesting one, Sam, because I consulted with a few of who can, I would say, close friends, very senior people, mentors of mine who are like CEOs of in, in the market. And I said to them, you know, what do you think? You know, I was offered several other jobs, several other sort of COO type roles in the market. Um, but they said to me, well, Roger, one of the things about you, you've got an amazing network. You've got a huge network. Why don't you do something that involves that network? I thought, what could I, what could I do? So I sat and I thought about it, spoke to a few other people, and I came up with this concept that I wanted to develop a, a, a not-for-profit organisation that sits at the heart of the London market that offers free to access information, knowledge, uh, collaboration for the insurance market. Um, and I want to make sure it's open and available for all insurance professionals, no matter whether they work for Lloyd's or whether they're in the company's market, they're brokers, they're MGAs. In fact, any insurance professional from, from, from around the world is welcome to be part of LMF. I wanted to create that model. So in the first year when I set this thing up, it was a big decision because it meant me taking quite a significant cut in my own personal income to do it. Um, I was pretty much on my own. I did have the help of a couple of other people uh, that, that kindly sort of helped me with it. Um, but I remember we did sort of three events in our first year. Um, and the first time we, I went out to promote something that we were doing, um, I thought no one's going to come. Uh, and it turned out that we filled the room. Uh, people thought they knew me. They knew that, you know, if I was going to do something, Roger always does something well or tries to do something well. So they'll come along. And once they'd come to the first one and could see the sort of people that we had there in the room and who we invited as guests they wanted to come back for, for more so each year it's great it's been going seven years now each year it's grown so we've no we're now about 50 events a year that we run for the market um, for all sorts of practitioners whether you know we have a reinsurance practice group we have a cyber practice group we have a change in operation leaders group we have summits we have all sorts of things that go on and we're we're just starting some some new stuff this year as well, which is very, very interesting around uh, young people. Um, and uh, we'd love to work with you on that and and all sorts of things. So I think there's um 
you've constantly got to evolve uh, as as well uh, on the journey, create new things, create exciting things, but consciously as well, listen to this, the change in the music uh, that's very important. So things that were important last year and everybody was hyping about them, you know, you, you've, you, you've got to move on. You've got to, always got to be looking for that, where, where the next sort of opportunity is to help people on their journey. And that's really what we're about. We're, a, we're an organization that's all about learning, networking and collaboration, uh, not just amongst insurance professionals, but by bringing insurance professionals together with government, academia, business leaders from other industries around the world and putting them in an environment where they can thrive and where they can learn together. And I think that's what is probably unique about what we do, say, on a completely free to access basis, which is which is quite uh, sort of unusual in some ways. Um, and I, the only reason I did that, I'll be honest with you, was because when I was back in my old jobs at Aon and Marsh and HSBC, we paid out a lot of money uh, from our budgets uh, in different things that we did, conferences that people went to, etc. You know, tickets, 1,500 each. And I, I felt that some of those possibly people weren't getting enormous value from. I'm not saying they weren't getting any value. They probably were. But, you know, if you add up, if you've got hundreds of employees or thousands of employees, it's a pretty big bill at the end of the year you pay for all of these conferences and things. And and so I wanted to offer something that was slightly different. So our funding comes entirely from uh, a relatively small number of um, organisations that, that support the London market in some shape or form with their own, uh, you know, in their own way. It could be a technology firm, a law firm. But equally, you know, we get great support from other companies like Aon or from Allied World and and those sorts of organisations. And as you saw recently at the um, the Market People Awards, which is our big annual bash that we have where we bring the market together to celebrate people and the excellence of the people that we have in EC3. Um, you know, there's a lot of organisations that were there that night um, supporting and being part of that celebration. So we're we're very pleased with the journey that we've we've come on. There's a lot more we can do and we're very much open to anybody in the market coming to us and saying look roger oscar whoever could we do this could we do that could you do this and we get that all the time sometimes we have to say no because we are, our bandwidth is only so much but if we can help people in any organization be it you know from a uh, you know a carrier a, a broker or indeed any other organization, we will try and help them where, where we can, you know, where, where, where our capacity allows. But uh, so that's, that's how we got to this point today. So hey, if that's the organization's journey, what's your journey? So you've gone from working in corporates with people around you, mentors, direct reports, people to manage your IT, your marketing, emptying the bins and all of that kind of stuff to working initially on your own and then building out a team. So how's that been in terms of a personal transition? That's been hard. I'm going to be honest with you. It's hard work. It's the job I do now. I'm, not, I'm sure my bosses at Aon, my very good friends, and, and, and HSBC and Marsh will probably listen to this and, and say, oh, well, he told me he was working hard. But I can tell you this job is hard, what I do now. It's really, really hard. Um, you know, cards on the table. I, I I own a third of what I was earning before, 
but I enjoy what I do and I feel it's adding value. Uh, to 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 the market and to the industry that I've worked in now for 35 years, um, it's been a great career. It wasn't. It was no mistake to to switch from medicine to insurance. People might think, oh, you know, that sounds a bit funny, but it's it, it's reality. Look, I still have a passion for medicine. I I went on even when I was studying insurance and, and practicing insurance to do sort of more advanced sort of sort of medical sort of skills and training and things like that, but. I don't regret for one minute doing what I do now. The difference now, as you quite rightly said, Sam, is that you know when you work inside those big organisations, big corporates, you do not realise for one minute. Um, I don't. I didn't anyway uh, uh, of everything that was going on around me and the value that that brings. So, uh, as you say, someone to empty the bins or someone to do all of your finance and accounting for you. I mean, there are weekends I s- sit at home just solely doing my accounts um when you're in an organization you don't need to worry about that um and then you know obviously as lmf started to grow and the team started to grow you start then getting those sort of uh hr and team issues sort of coming through again that that you had when you were back there but in those days you had an army of people that can do it. People like, you know, your good self on board that you support lots of different organizations in the market with their learning and development. And, you know, I think um, at the end of the day, I don't I don't have that 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 there. So I have to do it myself. So very often I'm looking online thinking, what courses can I get for my people or what can how can how can I sort of encourage my people to to go to that next level? Whereas before I had an HR person or an L&D person or some, someone along those lines. So it is very different running your own company. It's quite stressful. You're always yeah. thinking, how can I develop the next thing uh, and, and, and to make it to make their job more interesting as well? Because I try to create an environment where everybody in my organization contributes to the output, contributes to the product. And I think what you see today is is, is very much people say oh it's a it's a, it's a Roger Oldham brand it, it it is to a certain extent but but there are parts of it which have been very much influenced by the by the very great people that I work with and I have in my team so so that's been a, a you know a, a big sort of um, learning point for me as well uh, managing people even though I'd managed people for thirty years before managing people in your own small team in your own company is a whole new ball game. That's interesting your point on the brand there because that's something I've been transparent I think about quite a lot because um I mean, like you I had quite quite an established network certainly in the sort of area of of L&D and so on across the market before setting up um empower development um and it, it I was it was quite clear that it was sort of people thinking of it as Sam's courses not empower development's courses um, which you know, was great at the beginning because that helped me when I'm, it was me because for the first two years, it was just me. And, and then all of a sudden, when there's other people um, involved, it, you don't really want that. You, you, you want it to be the company brand that you can hold up and represent, but not sort of um, almost, you know, me standing behind the company brand rather than me in front of the company brand, sort of trying to flip that. And I think we're in that transition bit at the moment. You know, there's certainly people that I meet who will not know what my role is. They'll think, oh, what's your role at Empower Development? Rather than thinking, 
know, it's the business I, I create, which for me is actually when I hear that, I like that because I'm like, brilliant. This is someone who knows the brand before they know me. And the more often that's happening, the more we're kind of establishing the service rather than servicing my network, if that makes sense. No, I'm with you 100%. I think I probably got there to that point myself about six months a year before the pandemic. Um, and uh, yeah, what I was trying to do was switch over uh, from Roger Oldham Limited effectively to, to LMF and being recognised as a central market association that was there for everybody and uh, um, and make sure that you know I wasn't just always the one at the front front of the room as it were but it is hard to get that balance because sometimes what people are buying into is is you uh, they're buying into you they're buying into your your own standards and your own beliefs and uh, and and the, the value that you bring them um, as an individual and you've probably like me and you know I've got something like 10,000 followers on LinkedIn and stuff you've got probably thousands probably a lot more than that but you know it's been it's a difficult one because you don't want to lose those people either do you if you've built up a following yourself it's important so bringing that together I think is 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 a challenge when you run a business like uh, like like we do um, but it's about just creating ultimately my 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 whole ambition is to create that that product or that service that provides the support to the people that get most enjoyment from it get value from it um, and, and and it helps them and what's really great is when I look back we did our first ever leaders of tomorrow conference about four four years ago and um, it was quite small uh, we had probably about 40 people in the room um, they were obviously just starting out on their journey at that stage four to five years ago. Um, we did our, I think, fifth one last October, last November. And some of the people who'd come to the very first one came to the fifth one. And it felt like they they were the graduation class. And it was quite gr interesting because to, to watch the dynamics, because they were there then watching the, the new intake who were sitting around those round tables. Um, listening to things that they were saying, the questions that they were ask, asking and and being in a position to answer them. And now I I, I really get uh, feel proud that, you know, I can sit down individually with some of these people, the ones that were there five years ago, as well as the ones that are there, you know, that have only just joined the market in the last sort of year or so. And, and and really be part of their network and try and help them. And I regularly meet them for coffee and try and, you know, help them answer any questions they've got as well. Um, sometimes I'm not sure how I fit all, all of this stuff in a day, but uh, it, 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 you know, it's a case of making it happen. As we said earlier in the discussion, it's about, you know, putting your back into it. And, uh, and, and if you if you enjoy something, then you're going to probably do it well. That's that's the uh, the mentality, I think. That's the philosophy. So pre-pandemic, LMF was a face-to-face -face forum for, for events to be held and get the market together in a room. Um, so, of course, the definition of the pandemic uh, would have been a bit of a curveball, probably, for you. How did that hit you guys? Like, initially, what was the um, the process of, of responding to it? Well, you can imagine when that that announcement was made that that everybody must work from home when the government said everybody must work from home um not only did every company in the london market think 
how on earth are we going to manage this? How on earth are we going to uh, conduct our business in the way that we've done for the last 350 years? Um, LMF, the model was completely, well, you know, now where do we go with this? Because it is about physically bringing people together. So we sat down in a circle, um, a virtual circle, of course, and uh, we uh, came up with a plan to actually, instead of sort of going quiet, as it were, or just sitting there waiting for perhaps the storm to blow over, we would actually step up and we actually designed a program, including lots of brand new courses and, and material that we could bring to the market that kept the market talking. And in fact, for many people, whether that's CEOs of companies or, or graduates, what they told us uh, during the course of the pandemic and certainly after after it's uh, it's been it's, it's sort of over is that LMF was one of the only channels that really kept them talking with their wider market peers. Now, everybody can talk with, you know, to each other on LinkedIn and all of those different platforms. But the the reality is there weren't many uh, platforms out there during that period of time where people could talk to someone. So if you were at Amlin, to talk to someone at Aon, for instance, that you didn't already know, you know, to sit in a room, in a virtual room with them. And we designed our, 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 our whole program to be extraordinarily interactive. So it wasn't a case of just people listening. It was a case of people actually being in a virtual room, being in breakout rooms, actually working together to solve problems that were in the market at that particular point in time, more often than not because of the pandemic. So that's exactly what we did. And um, it was very hard work converting a physical platform to a virtual platform and making it successful. But we did it. And some of the course, some of the, the program that we ran, it was like there were five days on the trot that we ran these things for. And so, you know, I would do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, um, Saturday and Sunday. I was basically in bed. I was I was I was absolutely exhausted from doing it. But there was the enjoyment factor there and the satisfaction that we were bringing the market together to solve the problems they had at that point in in, in time. So and as you, uh, you know, as you saw probably at the uh, Market People Awards, we were extraordinarily honoured um, and it was rather embarrassing, a little embarrassing anyway. But we were honoured to be um, nominated by the market for for an award at the Market People Awards. We initially told the judges, the six independent judges at Lloyd's that we were, wanted to withdraw that nomination, um, but they said no, people had made it in, 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 in good faith. And ultimately the judges gave us that award, which was, we were so, so grateful for. But for many people, you know, speaking to us after the awards, they said, well, it was quite rightly due for what you did. You know, you stepped up at a time when we needed you most. So thank you for that. Um, and I would do exactly the same again. If ever anything happened again, we would we would we would always do that for, for the market. So um, that's something we can assure. But obviously, you also got recognized as well, which is amazing um, for the for the work that you're doing. I think if you do step up, if you do shine a light on an area that needs to be developed, as, as, you, as you've done, as we've done, then people will obviously be grateful for that and we, people will recognise you for that. And I think that's you can do that on an individual level, whether you're an individual in an organisation, you can step up 
or you can do it as a team or you can do it as a company or an organization but if you're if you just carry on with the status quo and you don't take it to the next level you can't always expect miracles to happen uh that's that's the, that's the reality of life yeah i think sort of listening listening to you talk about there it's it's kind of when we started the beginning of the pandemic almost everybody was faced with the same challenge um and no one knew what to do about it like it doesn't matter what what business you're in what your role you're is you know no one had a clue what they were going to do about it and anyone that essentially did something um and regardless of you know how much success that came with that, the fact they were able to get out there and do something, they were making it up as they went along. They were doing their best guesses and they were having a go and being you know, willing to fail, I think, through that process. Um, and I think when we, we look at it, we all went through that same process. It doesn't matter how far you are in your career, whether you are managing people or doing things for yourself, we all had to make things up as we went along. And I think when we look at sort of what can... So be a barrier for people in their careers is often thinking oh how am I going to do that I don't know how to do that and the kind of experience of everybody at the same time blagging it that's all we did for two years <laughs> you know well probably the second year everyone knew what they were doing a bit more but certainly for that first six months 12 months everybody was blagging it you know and and I think that just shows that that that's what most of what we do in careers often is it's, it's using your experience and your knowledge to have your best go and not knowing that you know the answers, but knowing that if you put your effort into it, you're going to give it a good enough go. I think I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I can remember a, a scenario where I was uh, sitting in my office. Um, I, I was in Aon at the time and um, there was a discussion going on because there'd been some kind of problem with a client uh, in the United States. And um, I could hear my bosses talking and I heard them say, well, really, we need to we need to get somebody out there. And I just said, well, if you need me to go and see these people, I'm happy to, to go. And they said, well, you'd have to go on Sunday. And I said, that's fine. I'm happy to go on Sunday. Um, so they did. They, they, they basically put me on a plane. They put me on a Delta flight. Uh, somehow we in those days, we managed to wangle a, a first class seat. I'd never been in one before in my life probably would never get in one again in in a business environment or not 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 frequently anyway and um they put me on this flight it landed in dallas i hadn't been to dallas before i got out the heat struck me i remember getting off the get off the jet bridge and meeting the client the client was there uh, um and took me to their house introduced me to their family i became friends with them after that at that point and um when I got back, the, the client reported back that they were now happy with the situation that had transpired and that, you know, I'd done a good job. And that gave me then the confidence to do more. But I, you know, I volunteered to do stuff that perhaps other people didn't want to do. And I think I would encourage other people to do that wherever they can. Just 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 get involved. Um, it doesn't have to be about going somewhere on a Sunday or whatever or giving up time. But just just put yourself out and I think you will get rewards from that it may not happen straight away it may not happen next week uh, even next year but in a period of time you will you will you will get that and I think our market has changed so much 
in the in the in the time I've been in it, it has changed beyond recognition. So there's far more appreciation now, I think, uh, for the value that people can bring uh, to to the market. We're not there to just do a job function. We're there to to add value to the whole process and uh, to make that make the organizations better. Um, I'm a, I'm so proud that we've we've you know developed from a diversity and inclusion perspective as a marketplace that has come on in leaps and bounds still journey to go on I'm not saying the journey is over by any means but we've come a long way to that and when you look across the market now a classic example was that when we look back at the uh, the market people awards from sort of two or three weeks ago someone wrote to me the day after and said Roger what I was most impressed about the awards was the diversity of the winners if you looked at the winners, we there were 17 winners on the night. 11 of them were ladies. And amazing. amazing. In terms of uh, if you look at the, the, the numbers uh, of, of lady, lady leaders, female leaders and male leaders. But then you see the, the winners on the night of the Market People Awards and see, you know, 11 ladies that won awards. Amazing. Amazing. We're so, so, so proud that that, that is hopefully a reflection of the future of, of, of the marketplace. We have a it's so, so important that we have a diverse uh, marketplace. So now we are out of the pandemic. I imagine you've, you've worked out some conveniences of things being remote um, and then you're struck with the balance of what do you do now you have the choice um, so what is LMF doing now you have the choice how much are you kind of remote what are you face to face for well we've consulted our, our members um, uh, we've got about 10,000 people across the London market who are actively part of London market forums um, and we've consulted a lot of them and they have basically told us that they much prefer the face-to-face -face, um, gatherings. They get more value from it because they can stand there with their cup of coffee and stand in a corner and meet people they've never met before. It's a lot easier than doing the virtual. The virtual was good. It served a very, very good purpose. And we will probably still consider doing virtual um, in the future, probably because of our international followers. So during the pandemic, we suddenly acquired a lot of international insurance professionals that wanted to be part of LMF. Um, and that's because it, they could, because it was easy. Uh, at the end of the day, um, what we've decided to do is, is, is go back to doing mostly physical, um, but we will, we will do some virtual as well. Um, and and most, most of our sessions are what we call our practice groups, um, but we also have a lot of summit events we have a lot of social events too. There again, social, you can't really do social virtual, really doesn't really work that well, does it? You know, um, there's nothing better than standing with a, a glass of something, whether that's mineral water or, or a glass of wine in Leadenhall Market and, 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 and meeting your friends and meeting people that you don't know. Um, so we do lots of that. So that's part of what LMF does as a, as a community association is bring people together in different settings from graduate right the way through to, to, to chairman. But we will continue to listen to what people want in the market. And if people want virtual, then we'll do virtual. Um, but the feeling is the feedback we get is that people want the physical interaction. And uh, that's what we will continue to do. LMF will be back and we are back already, but 
We'll be back in our office in the Leadenhall building uh, Tuesday, Wednesdays and Thursdays. As from the 1st of June, we'll be back um, uh, forsaking anything, any other announcements of any sorts. Hopefully we'll never hear, have that again. Uh, but, but you know, we believe that, you know, where, where possible, it's, it's good to be back um, in, in the physical. But we also see there are benefits uh, in remote working um, and, and certainly probably will re work remotely on a, on, a, on a Monday and a Friday. Um, unless someone in the market wants us there. I often see as a bit of a challenge for people is there will be individuals who are very proactive at knowing what's going on in the market. You will probably have 50 members that are responsible for inviting 1,000 of the other members across to LMF, right? So there are some people that if you meet the right person, you will find out what's available to you in the market. But a lot of people in the market don't have the network to find the network in hopefully with things like this people listen to this on their own um there'll be people listening to this that think okay this does sound interesting i have no idea who it's for who goes how i sign up you know how i go about that if i'm turning up on my own so what's that kind of process if if you're speaking to somebody um without that being a one-to-one -one, what would you give them as guidance for going about getting involved? I would say the first thing to do is, is, is go to our website, lmforums.com, have a look at some of the things that are coming up. If there's something there that you see on the on the website that you think, oh, that sounds really interesting. It could be a technical thing. It could be to do with cyber or reinsurance or uh, any 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 of the topics that we cover. We've got about 10 different sort of groups that meet uh, in terms of practice groups. And then we've got all these other things that happen as well on social. But one thing is certain, if you come along, um, we're, you know, we're a really friendly bunch of people. We're all market practitioners ourselves. We're all sort of qualified insurance people. If you come along on your own, we would look after you. You'd be with us. You know, we would introduce an event knows that, that it's a really friendly environment where they're going to go away from that, having learned some new stuff, made some new friends uh, and, and, and built something for themselves, for the they will go away from the, the the session having picked up something that they can take back to their workplace or something that they can develop, you know, in their own, you know, for, for themselves, uh, personal, on a personal level. And I think that's that's really important. Um, so I'd say go to the website, sign up. As we said earlier, everything is without charge. There, there isn't a charge. The only charge we, we, we make is for the Market People Awards. Apart from that, everything else uh, with, on LMF is, is, is free to access. Um, we've got some great things coming up. For instance, we're going to be doing this year for the very first time, a big market summer party. OK, it's going to be on the River Thames. It's going to be a, a spectacular evening in July. So be part of that because you know, it's a lovely evening out, but you'll also make some new networks, uh, some new friends. And as we said earlier in the discussion, networks are so important in our marketplace. And I would say that's probably if I really got our members to to tell us why they come to LMF, it's probably because of that. They want to develop their network. Um, they want to develop it further. We all get comfortable with the people that we work with internally, whether you work at Beasley or at Lloyd's or at Aon or at Willis Towers Watson or wherever you work. You work, no doubt, with a really great bunch of people. However, the market, the way that our market works is on a collaborative basis. So the better your network, 
the better you will be. The more, I think the more enjoyment you will you will get out of your job and out of your career. That that would be my advice to anybody. And I say to people this: I give one piece of advice to young people in our market. Spend 95% of your efforts and your time focusing on your job role. Get that right. Shine, and yeah, that's exactly what I did. But spend 5% of it on you, developing yourself developing yourself, not just in your own organization, but outside of it, in the market. Put yourself forward for a group. It doesn't have to be an NMF group, but you're welcome to. Put yourself forward for other things that might be going on. Always put your hand up. Speak to the CII and say, great people you know, at the CII that are very good friends of ours, just speak to them and say, look, you know, if you've got any sort of working parties coming up, I'll be part of that. Just do it. And the amount of people that get involved with LMF, you, I mean, I think you probably saw some of the young people at the Market People Awards that came. They they really enjoy it. They they like that involvement, and uh, and we like having them involved as well. And they learn a lot from it. So I would say just 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 go out there and and make it happen. You're in charge of your own destiny to a certain extent. We're we're lucky. We're in a marketplace which is open, which is in, on the whole encouraging, and it has so many opportunities. But those opportunities rarely come to you. You have to go to them and make them happen. So I usually round up asking for people for one piece of advice they'd give to people looking at their careers. You just gave us your top one. So I'm going to ask you uh, for the sake of completion and always ending this the same for another one. So um, what would you give as, as some top advice for anyone that's listening to this that's looking for ways to advance their own career? I would say um, that... You know, at the end of the day, you need to probably the best thing you can do uh, in the early part of your career, in the first half of your career, is specialize in a class of business. So obviously that differs. If you are obviously on the technology operation side, that that's absolutely fine. And there again, you could specialize in a certain area within operations and technology. I mean, some great stuff going on in technology around, you know, low code at the moment and no code and um, some amazing sort of uh, organizations involved in that in the London market brokers and underwriters that are actively on that on that sort of role. So if you're in operations and technology, that's the sort of an area. But from a uh, the mainstay, which is what we do as a market, the sort of marine aviations and you know, sort of constructions and all those sorts of things. Um, Specialise, choose a class of business, focus on it. Could be cyber. Cyber's a good, we've seen a load of people from in LMF members suddenly switch over and, and sort of move into cyber in the last sort of, sort of three or four years as a class of business. I think that offers a lot of interesting areas for development. Um, but I would say do that. And then there comes a point where you have to make a decision about whether you want to stay in a class of business or whether you perhaps will want to expand into a, a, a sort of a general management type role. Um, but all the time, you know, you need to be thinking about, you know, what's um, and what you would like to do sort of next down that next I would say five years. So that's what I always say, even to myself, you know, what's happening after five years. So you've got you got you you know you're in a role at the moment, and then what's going to happen after after that? Um, and be open as well to to other opportunities to work around the world. Um, don't don't just think that the London market 
uh, is the only place that you should work. It's a great place to work, don't get me wrong, but I am delighted that I've had the opportunity at times to work in other territories. I worked in Hong Kong for a bit. I've worked in Dubai for a bit. I've worked in Manhattan. Those experiences actually made me realise actually how much I enjoyed the London market, but it also gave me a different perspective on the world of insurance and it made it richer so that when I come back to the London market, you know, the London market might have a certain perspective on those markets. And I was able to say, well, actually, you know, they operate because of these factors. So I think just be open minded to the fact that, you know, the market does the insurance industry as a whole, not just the market presents itself with enormous opportunities. Just be open minded to those um, and uh, just just make sure that, you know, you're consulting uh, with people that are experienced. You know, there are lots of people out there. You know, I talk to um, a lot of senior people and they they always make the point to me, um, Roger, you know, I'm my door is always open. Uh, if if there are young people out there who would want 30 minutes with me over a coffee, I will make myself available to them. And in fact, the more sort of mature senior managers learn a lot from those discussions in this in this sort of reverse mentoring type um, atmosphere. Um, so they get value from it too. So it's not just a one way street. But I would say definitely if you haven't got a mentor, do look out for one. Uh, and there are lots lots of them out, lots of senior people out there who are willing to do that. And in fact, if you don't know of one, even contact us and and you know through our network we could probably help you know align people with uh with with a mentor of some sort but uh that that's that would be my advice uh you know think about you know, you know the next five years and then think about you know uh, whether it's a class of business or or you want to generalize excellent well, i agree with that thank you very much roger and then we'll put directions to you and the lmf website on the notes as well for this podcast fabulous well thank you very much sam really enjoyed talking to you today and uh you know um uh, I, I wish you every success with what you're doing thank you very much indeed